Welcome more to come. Pu- welcome more to come. Publishers Weekly's uh, weekly podcast on comics and graphic novels. I'm Kate Fitzsimmons, and I am interviewing Nick Momtas today about a very special property just finally starting to make it to the United States. Hi. Hi. So uh, I'm Nick Mamatas. I am the trade books editor of Viz Media. And trade books is a weird term that we use inside Viz Media to refer to things that are not manga. So uh, I'm primarily the editor of Haikosuru, which is the uh, imprint for Japanese science fiction translation. And I also do the occasional art book, nonfiction title, etc. So the book, the series, the anime, the legend we're here to talk about today is Legend of the Galactic Heroes, a.k.a. Ginga Ayu Densetsu, um, which is a 10-book science fiction series uh, coming out from Viz's science fiction imprint. And uh, we're four books in. The fourth has just come out. Hmm? And um, what can you tell us about it? Uh, Legend of the Galactic Heroes is a massive space opera slash military science fiction epic that basically involves uh, a projection into the future about the Prussian Wars. So it is a uh, aristocratic empire versus a uh, democratic alliance uh, with massive space battles and a lot of emphasis on military tactics and strategy and uh, political infighting. Sort of one of the early log lines we used around here was it's Game of Thrones in space. It's Game of Thrones without the rape in space. That's right, yeah, exactly, yeah. Which Game is of Thrones only to the good. 1920s in space, yeah. But it was actually written in the, published in the 1980s uh, by Yoshiki Tanaka and became huge there, um, like Star Wars level huge. And, you know, honestly, a lot of it is kind of influenced by the early Star Wars films as far as uh, um, the spaceships and the space stations and that kind of thing. And yeah, it sold I, like 15 million copies in Japan and had a, as you alluded to, a, a hugely popular anime and a hugely popular manga series. Yeah, but and it's, it's, it's also, happened. sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No worries. Uh, it's also been adapted into um, a stage play, is it multiple stage plays and a musical? Yep. It's Which not very things is not uncommon. Like there, there are Sailor Moon musicals and things like that as well. But but you know it's huge when it becomes a musical. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not very much like Star Wars in style of storytelling, um, but it it certainly does have a giant mega space station that kills things. That is a big plot point. And it's got two of them, and they roll they roll up next to each other and start shooting away at each other. So imagine both sides having a Death Star. Yeah. So, um, as you said, this came out in the 1980s, and you'd think it would be a shoe-in for America. I mean, it's a big old space opera, mm-hmm. dash military sci-fi. Uh, what took it so long to come to the United States? Well, for a long time, there was no belief that anything that was translated could become popular uh, at all. You know, trans, work in translation coming to the U.S., coming to English, is primarily the the influence of uh, university presses and uh, classics and that kind of thing. And uh, Viz Media and other companies showed that was wrong with manga, but manga is very easy to translate. 
and sort of uh, international in that the visual style, once you understand it, you know, it can be widely understood by most readers. And only recently have has science fiction really started translating a lot, or not even a lot, still not a lot, but there's enough translated there that you can read several translated books a month if you wanted to, but not just in Japanese, but Russian, Chinese, etc., Spanish. Um, the specific problem with Legendary Legend of Heroes, as far as translation it goes, is that one, it's, it's 10 novels long, and nothing's worse for a fan or for a publisher to do three, the first three of a 10-volume series. You know, it's, it's, it's frustrating and heartbreaking to, if it doesn't work out commercially, to have to stop after three when there are seven more volumes to go. The second one is that Legend of Electric Heroes is written pretty oddly. It was published, as we talked about, in the 80s, but it is, even for that time, written in a specifically nostalgic style for, let's say, the 1920s or 30s. So hardcore science fiction fans who know of E.E. Doc Smith and the Lensman series, which was hugely influential, but not, or probably not all that widely read anymore, is kind of like that. So is that what the style reads like in Japanese? Because yes. in English, it doesn't feel quite that old-fashioned. I mean, it's a little, a little bit Asimov-y, but not too much. But maybe that's the virtue of translation. Yeah, it's, it, it, it definitely reads that way in, the, in Japanese and in English. We didn't update it very much because it, it felt more honest to keep it in that weird operatic style where you'd have a room full of kernels twiddling their thumbs and saying, splendid, we shall destroy them all, that kind of thing. Uh, but even then, it's kind of written. And, and uh, the other issue is that in the very first book, the first 15, 20 pages or so is, has no characters, has no action, and is basically a history of the universe. Yeah. And I thought it was, oh, are people going to get past the history of the universe in the first 20 pages? But we were convinced to publish this by fans, who over the course of the nine years or so that we had been publishing like the pseudo novels, would invariably write us over and over again, please publish Legend of Dr. Heroes. Have you ever thought of Legend of Dr. Heroes? There was a, like a petition. We get these bursts of letters, sometimes dozens at a time, sometimes one or two, but it was constantly being referenced over and over again. People finding our email address, people coming to us at conventions, you know, dropping us lines on Facebook. Wow, and, so it's a real fan effort. Yeah. And of course, as you would mentioned, the manga and the anime were never legally released here in the U.S. Uh, people were depending on illicit translations and... Uh, Fan, collective fan translations of the work. So they were very eager for anything that was legal. And uh, we were kind of a, an easy to contact bunch of people to, to beg for. And a few years ago, our first novel that came out was All You Need Is Kill by Hiroshi Sakurazaka. Uh, and it became a, a hit and it became a film. It became the film Age of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise which, you know, is a, a pretty popular movie and a very well-acclaimed movie and helped us sell a lot of books. And after that, we sort of, sort of casting around for a new space opera or, or a new military science fiction to use, to bring over. And I said to my boss, Masumi Washington, we get all these letters, why don't we try Legend of the Heroes? And she said, let's make sure they're real and not just the same five people writing us over and over again under different names. That is fair enough. The internet yeah. can do that to you. Exactly. So I put up a tweet saying, please favorite this tweet if you agree that it's like the heroes. And our thought was, well, let's see, let's see if we get 500 over the course of a week. We got 500 by the time I left for work. Because I did it that morning before work, and I, by, the time I was in, by the time I left for work, it was 500. By the time I got to the office, it was 1,000. And then we stopped counting. And then, you know, it kept the number of likes on this tweet kept zooming out. And then we decided to go for it. And then it became, I mean, it was ending, ended up being surprisingly easy to get the rights. 
we were also concerned that the rights might be difficult to get because that's why, why had nobody brought the manga over or the anime over. But they were eager for it, and uh, we were off to the races. So I guess one question now that since you, you mentioned about the anime and the manga just not being brought out here for the longest time in any form, um, do you know anything about why that was? Because I can understand how the novels for a long time would have been a hard sell because people are just like, oh, Americans won't read things in translation that are books. But clearly, like, Americans will watch anime about space stations getting blown up. Oh, sure. So, like, what was the deal? Um, my understanding, which may not be totally accurate, was that uh, there was uh, a great interest in having the anime come over if the music was kept. And there, there was some issue with the music not being able to be brought over, but then, it, then it, that got resolved. And the manga, I know it's been passed around a lot. I've, I've seen pages of the manga that, that were, were considered over here and were considered at other companies, I guess. And uh, it just kind of never worked out. So, but, but I, the after they worked out the music rights and it still didn't come over, like, what was up with oh, well, the I anime? Because it's, it's been a really long time, and it was a huge hit in Japan. Yeah. Well, now it is coming out. Now, now... Well, now the anime is coming. I think that was that resolution. If if I if I remember if I remember correctly, I may not. That resolution was relatively recent, and uh, now okay, it's yeah. got it. Yeah. yeah um. So high dive. Uh, mm -hmm. Isn't that connected with Sentai? I feel like it's connected with Sentai. Um. Is a new online anime streaming service which I it just came out last week. I literally um got a membership just because they had Legend of Galactic Heroes and they're marketing themselves that way. Like they're like their their ads for it are like, we have Legend of Galactic Heroes and other stuff. That's right. That's gonna be their their flagship uh, show as far as I can tell from the advertising. And what a flagship it is. It's got something mm -hmm. like hundred and ten episodes. It's just mm -hmm. really long. Um so... And it matches the very, very closely. So if you wanted to catch up before diving into the anime or if you wanted to Find out the endings before everyone else does. Start with the books. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say mm -hmm. that watching what there is of the anime and having read like summaries for how long it takes to get to different points in the books, mm -hmm. while the anime is very good, the books, for all you say they were, are old-fashioned, actually move at a fairly fast clip. They're oh. not the usual bricks you're used to in the United States. Uh, science fiction these days, which are like 700 pages long. They're, they're relatively short books that, that move at a good speed. Oh, yeah. um, so, you know, you can... You don't spend, like, five hours to get through a space battle if you're reading the books. Oh, yeah, you can read a, you can read a volume in a weekend, and I'd recommend that. And uh, we recently switched translators, and uh, the new translator is even more succinct than the old one, so... Uh, <clears throat> they're they're becoming uh, even smoother, not not necessarily better reads, but more more efficient reads. Mm. Yeah. So speaking of the translation, mm -hmm. I mean, as you were saying earlier, it's much easier to translate manga than it is to translate novels. And goodness knows, Legend of Lucky Heroes has its share of techno babble. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you know, translation is its own art. But can you speak a little bit to any? 
challenges or interesting aspects to translating oh, sure. work like this? Um, well, one is using the not quite the same naval uh, lingo that one would expect, and that it is closely used to uh, naval ideas of combat and war and uh, military arrangement, but not necessarily all the same as we would expect if you have you know, a naval background or if you're a military buff. So trying to navigate, like, do we stay true to the translation or do we culturally translate it to make it more immediately comprehensible to someone who has naval experience is a question. And uh, there are other issues involving just things like surnames. Like, uh, you know, one of the civilizations is a, a civilization run by aristocrats, so almost all of the people have the surname Vaughn, you know, Vaughn something. And do we leave the Vaughns in or do we keep the Vaughns out is like a, a huge question that we have. So what did you do? Um, I think we kept some Vons in and some Vons out. So we sort of satisfied some of the issues and not, not all the issues, depending on uh, who was introduced first and that sort of thing. Also, the issue is that it, while our translators work very hard, it's hard to get them to say, well, let's read all 10 books and you can translate the first one because that's, that's exhausting. So they're reading them as they translate them. So other issues like, oh, we might you know, stop by saying, oh, that's what they meant in book three, now that we're on book six or something. Yeah, that's so, that cause problems. And the other issue is that, of course, you know, this was, these books were published in the 80s, and uh, they've been multiply reprinted. So are we using the right edition? Like, you know, we, uh, if our translator is a fan who had, you know, who got the copies of his own in Japan, and uh, his his volumes are from the 90s, and uh, we're working on the volumes from the, from the 2010s, there are some changes that have to be made and some questions we have to ask to make sure we're using the right uh, Japanese. And then there are just final issues about you know, how space works. Like, is it a battlefield or is it the battle space? Mm-hmm. Just questions like that. How, do we, how would the language change in space? Yeah, I could see how when you switch languages, mm-hmm. decisions that normally the author would make, suddenly the translator has to make. Exactly. He has to remake them again and try to either think, try to read the mind of the author or try to read the mind of the reader or try to really read both of them and try to find a, uh, a compromise solution. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it helps or not that Yoshiki Tanaka, unlike a lot of authors of older books, is still around and publishing. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys are able to like contact him in any way at all about anything or, or what. Can and I think we have a couple of times, but uh, at the same time he's still extremely busy. He's very excited about the English language translations, of course, but it's also things he wrote, you know, 30 years ago. So, yeah. do you remember what happened 30 years ago? Like, oh, you know, I, I don't remember things that happened three years ago <laughs> at this job. Sometimes, so doing it 30 years ago can be a challenge. Um, but that reminds me, speaking of Tanaka, the other issue with the translation is that the books are different from the anime and manga, at least at the first blush, in that. It's easy to read these illicitly translated uh, manga or look at the illicitly, illicitly translated anime and miss something. It's easy to see see the, the animation and think, ah, this is a great story about war and the glories of war and the challenges of being a good person. But the books are extremely sarcastic. Yeah, I felt... The books are anti-war books that are shaped like war books. Yeah, well, the, the books are... I think actually true to a long tradition of military science fiction novels. 
yeah. where they're written by people who have a complex view of the subject. That's right. Um, I would say, having watched some of the anime now, um, that the one thing that seems to be much more obvious in the novels is Reinhardt. Yeah. Like, that the, the anime seems to sort of romanticize him a little bit, whereas it's very clear in the novels that he is an anti-hero. He's an anti-hero. Yeah, He's an Alexander the Great dash Napoleon type figure, right. which is not necessarily a bad person, yeah. but he's hardly a noble hero. That's right. He's ruthless, and uh, he's malevolent, and he's working out his own personal issues with the uh, on the canvas of an entire galaxy. Yeah. Like, he, he starts off the novels with an excuse, a personal excuse to himself about why he's doing this. I won't spoil too much. Right. Um, and very quickly, his excuse is rendered null and void. Like, exactly. theoretically, his whole reason for taking over is not there anymore. Yep. But he still does it. Yeah, exactly. And he sticks with it. Yeah. And his ambition... Like, only oh well, I'm gonna. I was already planning to conquer the universe, so whatever. I may as well do it, yeah. And then, of course, there's the uh, the Free Planets Alliance, uh, which you would think, oh, Tanaka must be rooting for the Free Planets Alliance. But when when the focus of the book shifts to that civilization, it's like, oh, this is full of corruption and petty backbiting and you know uh, political shortcuts as well. Yeah. So, it doesn't sound like it's a pan-democracy against our aristocracy. It's basically that he's looking at the problems of all societies. Yeah, finding, and you know, more than that, something that I was thinking about as I was reading the books, although I haven't read book four yet, mm -hmm. um, is that it strikes me as culturally not the way someone from a non-monarchical democracy like the United States would have written it. Like, yeah. this is not a book an American would have written because there's an actual dialogue going on in the story the whole time about what's better, a good monarchy or a bad democracy. Right. And, like, that's just not a question an American would even consider. Absolutely. And, uh, and uh, he even seems to answer this by saying, neither, you know, which is not really uh, uh, a satisfying answer, but it makes for a very satisfying drama. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be coming down on a bad democracy is better than a bad monarchy, but once you get that past opinion. that, it gets murky. Yeah. Or that democracies can devolve into aristocracies really quick. Yeah. Yeah. And actually asks the question, again, something an American never would, is can that be a good thing? Like, my personal response is, no, it's not a good thing. But... Yoshiki Tanaka does not seem 100% convinced <laughs> that. Exactly. Yeah, which is a very interesting perspective. Yeah, because um, it becomes very complex because he's, he's uh, down on both sides, but he gives both sides a fair shot. But he, gets, he lets things play out. He gives them fair play. Yeah. I would say, as a reader, my read on it, at least in this translation, is that he's pretty clear about the fact that Yang is a better person than Reinhardt. Yeah. And possibly a better general. But mm -hmm. because he's less of a political animal, yeah. that hinders him. Yeah, and he's less ambitious. And he's hindered by the other the other people in his society. Yeah. Like Young is constantly uh, being 
sort of uh, hamstrung, even as they depend on him to save their to save their part of the galaxy. Right, but the pawn in their political games. Yeah, but I feel like Reinhardt is running into the same things on his side, but because Reinhardt is a political animal, he's able to navigate that field. Exactly. Whereas Yang is just like, I take orders. That's how it works. Yeah, I just want to retire to my brandy and my books, as do we all. Um, so when you guys acquired the book license, mm-hmm. did you know about the new anime that supposedly is coming out maybe this fall, or about the the breaks being taken off the old anime? Um, as far as the new anime, there have been sort of rumors swirling around, but we didn't know much about it. We found out about the old anime coming out in the U.S., I think the day we announced the book. Oh. We announced the book at some convention last year, and people were very excited. Then, then like, was it across the hall, or maybe 20 minutes later, Sentai was like, oh, we're doing the manga, or we're doing the anime. Oh, so it just happened to work out. And then oh, we, so yeah. you announced the book so close to when the first book came out? Because it, it came out, like, literally, like, a year ago. Yeah, we, we had the book going, and we kept it for a secret for a while. And then uh, then we put the book out right away. And also we put the books out in sort of binge order. We want, so we're putting out like three the first year and two this year, and we'll see how it goes. Um, I just sent the translator the contract to do six. Uh, so we're trying to get them out very quickly to get that kind of fascination uh, fuel. You know, that's the other that's another issue with publishing. In the, in the United States, the, the common wisdom is to publish a book in a series once a year. Yeah, you can't do that with the 10-book series that's exactly. 30 not, years not, old. It's not going to work. Yeah. And who knows? What will happen in 10 years? What will, what will the publishing industry look like in 10 years? Yeah, it's too long. Exactly. So we have to – we're jamming these things out as quickly as we can and hoping that people will get excited about it. One thing we're doing to sort of spark up interest is next week – I don't know when this airs. Uh, uh, but, it's it's airing on uh, the week after we're talking right now. Oh, so that like, – so like it's it's not com- it's coming out a week from today. Great. Then you can go to your favorite ebook retailer and get the first volume for a buck ninety nine because we're lowering the price to celebrate the release of the fourth by making the first very cheap. Yes, and also uh, you guys like last year brought out uh, a bundle of Haikasoru books um, through Humble Bundle for a very limited time. Yeah. Uh, which included the first volume. Right. That was actually Story Bundle, which is a uh, similar, oh, my similar service. Yeah. Story Bundle is a com, very nice guy, uh, Jason Chen. That had the first volume out. Um, we're going to reduce the price of the first volume again as as we're speaking now, as, as, uh, or as you're listening now. Because with any series, you know, you, you lose readers here and there. Yeah. Sometimes they don't like it. Sometimes they like it, but they forgot about it. Sometimes they get hit by a bus. So you, so you have to, you know, keep the uh, that first volume active to get people in. Yeah, plus making the first volume easy to acquire makes it much easier for people to try to get their friends into it. It helps with word of mouth a lot. Yeah, well, our little slogans to be defend the empire or defeat it, and you can choose fans. You know, if you want to buy your friend a book or tell them about the book, you know, oh, do you want to see Reinhardt or you want to see Young? Let's try to, we're trying to start like a civil war on Twitter over who likes who better. Yeah, um, well, I think I will say that I wonder whether the new anime will help sales. Oh, sure. Um, but I really do love the books. And one thing I like about them that makes it easier for me as a fan who reads a lot more 
American comics and a lot more American novels than I do manga, um, is that unlike a lot of manga and some um, book series in the United States, more like American graphic novels is that each volume is satisfying in and of itself. Like, you can read volume one, and it's a book. Like, you're not left on a cliffhanger. That's right. So to people who are like, oh, no, 110 episodes coming out over a year, I don't know, I can hack it. Um, Read the novels, even if you only read, like, three, you'll be satisfied. Yeah. And uh, they also take place over the course of a year, in some way. And so the end of each one isn't so much a cliffhanger as it is like clearing the chessboard for the next game of chess. Yes. If you like reading a chess game, you like, you know, seeing how things evolve, you can pick things up anytime. Plus, um, there's a lot of sort of backfill uh, here and there in the books. And that if you're confused by a character, it'll, it'll take a paragraph to explain, oh, this guy who was, you know, had changed sides after being betrayed is now working for the Alliance. It'll, it always catches you up. Yeah. Um, I will say, even just watching the manga a little bit now, there is definitely a bit of a cast of thousands effect with the anime, yep. um, where sometimes it can be, it can take a while to figure out who these guys running around on the stage are. Yes. Whereas in the book, it's much clearer, much faster. Yeah, we created a cast of characters up front too, and so you can always flip to the front uh, to see who's who and who died last time. And uh... Last week on Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Whenever we have a new intern, part of the intern's job is to update the style sheet to make sure everybody stays dead. Um, so or stays the same hair color and such. Yeah. So do you guys know anything about when the new anime is coming out or whether it's been licensed in the United States? Um, nope, we only know what, you, what we see on the news. And I saw that they finally cast or recast uh, the uh, voice actors this past week. So it seems to be going ahead, but we have no idea as of yet because we're just... We're just like you, reading, reading the Anime News Network and other websites. Yeah, they're yeah. having some big event in September. Yeah. Um, I really don't know enough about the anime industry to know, like, what's how what sign that is for how far ahead the then, you know, release of the show is. Um, Nor I. I. Like I said, I'm the non-manga editor. In fact, I got this job one of the questions I was asked when I was interviewing was, do you like anime and manga? And I said, not really, I like science fiction. It's like, oh, you're hired. They that is to... an interesting perspective. <laughs> well, they want somebody who knew science fiction back and forth, not someone who liked manga and anime and was kind of into science fiction. Um, so it's fit on that level. So I couldn't tell you very much about the anime so far. And these things tend to be, I guess, somewhat hush-hush, like, any, like a Hollywood film. Mm. Like they like they leak things purposefully or their tidbits here and there. You know they'll put on a trailer or a teaser or some art or announce the cast, and then things will putter along until suddenly, boom, there's a massive uh, rollout. Yeah. Um, I guess one question I'd have, and maybe you may not be able to answer this, is is Viz looking at all at the possibility of maybe bringing out the new manga in the United States? Maybe. Maybe. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. I understand. I don't want to back you into a corner. Sure, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. But, but that maybe tells me something. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so I know you guys changed translator after the first mm-hmm. three volumes. Yeah. Um, 
And I, I don't uh, mean to speak ill of anyone because I, I enjoyed the previous translation, but I'm just curious, like, what what motivates, like, change midstream and translators oh, or something? It's another book. We have this other book coming out called uh, Sisyphean by Dembo Tarashima, which is really complex and really weird. And Daniel Huddleston is our sort of expert freelance translator for the weirdest things we have. So he, was, he did the first three uh, legends. Then we said, oh, we want you to do... Uh, Sisyphean, and he's like, oh, this is weird and strange, I'll do this. And so we had to bring out four and five, so we got Tyron Grillo to four or five, and he's doing six as well. But it wasn't because Dan did anything wrong or bad. He's a great translator, so is Tyron. They actually worked together a little bit, um, sort of having a little bit of overlap with volume three. But basically, we, we got Dan to doing something else now. And it may well end up, he does seven, eight, seven, eight, nine, and ten, or he might do eight, nine, and ten. He, he might come back. So it wasn't, we, didn't, we didn't dismiss him. We just got him doing something else. Okay. Um, yep. I, I was, uh, yeah, I didn't mean anything bad by it. Just like, you know, because it's, translators are so important to a work like this. I just was wondering, you know, about, do you guys worry about consistency when you have to switch? Like what motivates a switch, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, and um, we definitely wanted things to be consistent and things to be amiable. And, you know, Tyron had helped uh, Daniel out a little bit with Volume 3, so he knew the series very well, he knew how Daniel worked. And whenever we got a question about previous volumes, we asked Daniel what happened. So there's a lot of back and forth to try to make things consistent. Of course, my input, my editorial input, is uh, trying to iron out any differences that may, may take place. Um, with a work in translation, um, how does that even make like copy editing or proofreading work? Because you almost have to have someone who has the knowledge of Japanese, I would think, and the original work to like catch the oopses. Or is that not necessary? Um, it's not necessary. It'll be handy, but it's not necessary. And I don't speak Japanese, nor do the copy editors here at Viz, or at least they don't speak much Japanese. Um, so our process, at least the process for the Hakusuru books, is to treat the translator like the author, and that. We're constantly querying the translator. What did you mean by this? What does that say? What does this say? Plus, my supervisor, the editor in chief of Hakusuru, Masumi Washington, is a native Japanese speaker, has read all this stuff, you know, uh, in translation. So when there are other questions that come up, we often approach her, and if she can't figure it out, then we'll try to get the author. So there's a lot more back and forth, at least standard New York publishing. Yeah. So here these days, an author sends in a book, it gets accepted, it gets edited, it gets copied, and then they receive a copy of the manuscript. They have it they're over in a weekend. But with us, like these debates, like we sit around saying, "What does this mean? What could this be? Could this be that?" You know. So, given that you said you're not really interested in anime or manga, um, what does that make it like working at Viz? Well, that was nine years ago. <laughs> you know, when I when I first got here, after nine years of exposure to anime and manga, I'm now highly interested in it. Thanks to uh. Thanks to getting it for free, basically, <laughs> you know, and, and having worked on a couple of manga. Uh, but it's really quite interesting, you know, just to, to see how things are done so radically differently and how stories are told so radically differently. And I'm, I'm into the top 3% of anything. Like if it's the, the best 3% of anything I'll read, whether it's you know, an Amish romance or a manga or a biography of a World War II general. As long as it's the best of that. So I, I do have my favorite manga now that I did not nine years ago. I've not become a full, a full-on fan of, you know, uh, reading huge amounts of it, but I do read a lot of it now, and I really enjoy it. 
So um, one question, I, if it's not delicate to ask, is is how is Legend of Galactic Heroes doing for you guys? Do you think you'll be able to to bring out all ten volumes potentially? Uh, it's doing pretty good. It's doing really well. Um, we have, I've got five on my desk now. Six is being translated now. It certainly seems possible to do seven, eight, nine, and ten. But of course, there are external factors too. You know, what if Barnes and Noble goes out of business? What if Amazon vanishes? You know, <clears throat> all sorts of questions that are like external questions. Yeah, yeah. What if the sky what if the economy falls, falls apart? Yeah, not not. But uh, if all continues to go the way things are going, we'll probably make it to the end. But uh, if you are a fan of the Galactic Heroes, my strong recommendation is, if you want to help the series out, is tell your friends. Just word of mouth has always been the best way to sell a book. Fans sell books to fans, and that's part of why we're doing that 199 sale uh, this week through to July 5th, is to encourage people to say, I love these books, hey pals of mine who follow me on Twitter or on Facebook or in real life or on Goodreads, now you can get started for two bucks. Because we we're pretty sure if you get started, you're gonna get hooked, and then you'll wanna read them all. And I guess the one thing I would say, there are some fans out there who think I'm gonna wait till the end to make sure they all get done, then I'll read them. And don't do that. If you wanna support a series, support a series from the beginning. And buy the books when they come out and pre-order them when you see them available for pre-order if you can. Uh, if you wait for all 10 to come out, they may not all come out. Yeah, but I will say, now that the anime is coming out legally in the United States, people can at least have the reassurance that if all else fails, they, they can just, you know, watch, watch the, the anime. It's not as good in its own way. Um, it's its own thing. It's a little different. Yeah. But... Uh, you know, you, you will at least get to see what happens. We're excited. I mean, we, we, our, our experience is that when an anime comes out, especially an ad for the book, like, uh, or when a film comes out, like Edge of Tomorrow, the film is very different than All You Need Is Kill, but it was still a two-hour commercial people paid to see to buy our book, and it was a, a, a huge boon. So our, our thoughts are that the anime, the new anime, and also the uh, translated older anime from the 80s and 90s, will be a great boon to the books. Because people are completists. They want. They always want more. They want to live in that universe for a longer time. Yeah, and furthermore, I mean, frankly, even if I had come in through the anime, which is very good, it's it's yeah. acclaimed for a reason, um, I probably would have switched over to the books pretty quickly because it's really, really long. You know, I just see like 110 episodes, and I'm like, oh, my God, how, how can I do this? Whereas, you know, books, I'm like, okay, 10 books, I, I could do 10, 10 books. books. 256 pages, each are about 80,000, 75,000 words. They're short, fast reads, and uh, they're better. I mean, this was really conceived of as a series of books. And yeah. so anime or a manga is going to adapt and bring their own strengths to it. But ultimately, I think, if you want to really experience what was meant from the very beginning, the book is the place to, to experience that. Right. It's if you're, if you're watching the anime, the book will not take away from it. It's not like one of those things where like the like um, Legend of the Seeker versus the book series it was taken from where they're so different that the two sides are going to hate each other. That's not going to happen. They're pretty faithful to each other in their way. That's they right. just each have their own style. Yeah. And you'll get more insights in the characters because the, uh, the book will spend five pages on space background that you may not get on the anime. Yeah. Or on manga. So if you're impatient, or if you're super into character, you know, internal thoughts, read the books. Yeah. Um, so 
do you guys have any plans to bring out any other Yoshiki Tanaka novels? Other than this series? Maybe. I will take that maybe also, thank you. Yeah, because this is not his only series. He's written That's right. He's got a couple others. A lot of other stuff. Including like a big Varslan. Yeah, exactly. That might be a possibility. Yeah. But um, see more things. Like people ask us all the time, like, how can we get more? You get more by helping us out, by helping us sell the books. So tell your friends, leave a review on Amazon or Goodreads or BarnesandNoble.com. Go to your local independent bookstore and talk about it. Ask your local library to carry copies. It's, this, you know, it's sort of a fan so thing. Are you guys so, like campaigning it, it, for or you know eligible for awards like the Hugos? Yeah, we are. We're definitely eligible for a Hugo Award because the Hugo Awards, for those who don't know, it's the World Science Fiction Convention's fan-based award, so fans vote on it. And you don't have to go to the convention to vote. You can buy a supporting membership for like 40, 50 bucks and uh, vote for the Hugos and support Worldcon, which is a very long-lasting, like a 75-year-long convention started off in Philadelphia in the back of somebody's, uh, somebody's father's bar was the first Worldcon. And now it's this gigantic thing that flies around the world. It's in Helsinki. In Finland this year, it'll be in San Jose, California next year. And uh, once something's translated in English, the Hugo it's not it's Hugo eligible. So a couple of years ago, a Chinese novel, The Three Body Problem, won the Hugo for best novel. So if you are in that part of fandom, that old school literary fiction, literary science fiction fandom, and you remember fondly the space operas of your youth, doesn't have to hear us one, the book for you, and two, definitely Hugo eligible. Okay, so do you have anything that I haven't covered here that um, you just that's related that you just feel like talking about or want to tell our listeners? I think we pretty much summed it up. I would just say one more time uh, that you know an American author living in America can help sell their own book really well because they can have it on social media, they can go to bookstore events, they can you know have their friends and family talk them up. But a work in translation is often difficult to sell. Uh, to the public because the, the author is not here. The author is the, the best publicity. Um, so really, really, we really do depend on fans to spread the word because our Haikos imprint is like pretty much an imprint of first novels. As far as the marketplace is concerned, it's basically first novels all, all up and down the line. So if you like what we're doing, please you know, think of us when you make a YouTube video about a book or do an unboxing video or um, go to a convention and are on a panel you know, as a fan. Basically, you, you need to help us, if you like what we're doing, uh, recruit more for this war against aristocracy and democracy. So, um, thank you very much. Uh, my and, pleasure. And um, I look forward to reading the fourth novel, which is sitting Great. right next to me right now. Oh, fantastic. I was going to say I was going to send you one, but you have one. Fantastic. Well, I, I'm, I, I can hardly wait for uh, book five, I have to admit. But I just finished reading it on my desktop, and it's great. Uh, what is the release date on that? Um, November. Okay, thank you. And then 6th is April. That might be news. That, yeah, that's some secret news. Uh, 6th is April. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's your scoop. Enjoy. Okay. All right, okay, thanks. Thank you very much. No problem. Talk to you soon. Take care.